Here, thank you so much. Great to see all of you again. Um, I'm glad you didn't change the flag yet. I'm also glad you didn't remove the volleyball that's up there, that's been up there for 11 years. Uh, <laughs> some plant, others water, but God gives the increase. It's all about God and His glory and what He's doing. And it is a joy to be here with you just to share from the Word what God's doing in Minneapolis and challenge you to think about your responsibility to respond to those that are hurting. Uh, I've entitled the message, Serving, the High Call is Serving, uh, really reaching out to the least of these. And I do have the, uh, I'm going to do some of the old school things where I'll just control this. I'm good. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9 with me, and look at verse 35. Because when we get started, I'm becoming more and more aware of the fact that if I don't state the purpose at the beginning, it's easy to lose where I'm going, and I don't want you to lose this. I want to encourage you, if you're into marking your Bible or even looking and highlighting your phone, if that's what you're using right now, to highlight these three different phrases in Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 35. It says in verse 35, Jesus went, Matthew 9, 35, it's the passage we just read together. Jesus went, then I want you to highlight in his going, he's teaching and proclaiming. So he went, he's teaching and proclaiming. I I think those things go together. And the third thing is healing. He went, he's teaching and proclaiming, and he's healing. I think in that simple verse, we have a formula of how we can reach the least of these. We need to go to them. We need to proclaim the gospel from teaching, preaching, different methods, but it's all propositional. You've got to share. You've got to open up your mouth and communicate who Jesus is to a lost and dying world. And then we need to look for opportunities to meet needs. No, I don't believe you possess the gift of healing. I don't believe I possess the gift of healing. I'm not calling you to go out and lay hands on people and heal them. Does God still heal today? Absolutely he does. I believe that 100% he does. But he doesn't do it through the lens of one person who's the great healer. Everyone has to come and see so he can touch you. He does want you, though, to touch people, which is a hard thing in our society today with the post-COVID or COVID uh, pandemic. We're thinking of a a phobia, cobophobia or something. There's got to be a name for it. We are so distanced from each other that we're afraid to get close to one another to help people. And we need to be willing to minister to the needs. And so when we consider the life of Jesus and what he did, I don't want you to miss this. In everything that I'm going to say today, he went, he was proclaiming and teaching, and he healed. I want to ask you the question, are you reaching out to anyone who happens to fall into the category of the least of these? If I step back and I look at two main points that I want you to get, it's these. Serving the least of these involves reaching people the way Jesus reached them and then simply viewing people the way Jesus viewed them. Reaching them the way Jesus reached them. And I'm going to spend the bulk of my time on that. Um, If you remember back in the day, that's about where I would split the message, right? I'd come back up and give you just a couple points for that second point with application, but I'm going to do it all in one. So Hope you're ready for this, and I know you are. You can handle this. But I do want you not to miss, he went, we need to be people, ministers of the gospel, willing to go to where the people are, those that are hurting. We need to be willing to proclaim the truth 
and we need to be willing to meet needs. And I don't know if there's something mysterious in the order of it. A lot of times we think we need to meet needs first, and then maybe we'll talk to people, but the going is kind of assumed. I I just want you to note that if all we're doing is going and and meeting needs and never proclaiming the truth, you're, you're meeting needs of people who are dying and going to help. You need to bridge the gap to help them understand the truth of the gospel, and I want to encourage you in that as we look at the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus ministered to people, and he did it in a way that required his time, that required his resources, and it required a heart that actually cared about the hurting. I don't want to overly sensationalize what's happened to our family since we moved to the inner city of North Minneapolis So there's a danger in what I'm right about to do, but I'm not doing it to get you to say, oh, wow, that's rough. Because really, in comparison to what's going on globally, this is nothing. If you follow, uh, I mentioned to you Abraham's Oasis and what's going on in Ethiopia, and you see war that's broken out all over Ethiopia, and some of the kids don't even know know, what they're going to eat today. All the garden has been consumed um, one of my kids asked me, and I don't, this is not inappropriate, they asked the question, Dad, do you think they still have basic needs like paper products, like toilet paper and paper towels? I'm like, I don't think so. Actually, I don't think they have a way to get these things. And you've got a group of, of orphans, uh, of 40 of them, c- gathered together, scared to death, hiding when they hear the gunshot. So what I'm going to share with you is not to that level, um, but I do want you to know a little bit about what's happened with us. So our first week, we're getting settled in, and then my first full week of ministry, a 19-year-old girl was killed in a car accident, and she was connected to a school that rents from Family Baptist Church. It's called Minnesota Internship Center. It's a wonderful school that reaches out to the homeless kids in the area and helps them get off the street into housing and get a high school diploma. And they're always in need of teachers. So yes, I'm going to shamelessly put a plug to those of you that are thinking about what to do next. They have needs and there's opportunities there. But this girl was tragically killed in a car accident. She was driving in the car and the driver of the car was drunk. She wasn't in a seatbelt. They smashed into the median. They called us and said, because you host the school, would you consider also hosting the funeral? This is my first full week of ministry. I thought, well, wait, what a great opportunity to connect with the community. Sure, yeah, let's do it. And they said, well, actually, we don't even have a church home. Could you preach the funeral? I was like, sure, yeah, I'll do that. Come to find out, uh, I was very much the minority. Uh, Actually looked, it felt weird, where you have my dad, who is the founding pastor of Family Baptist Church, and I'm, I'm blessed to continue to work with him, and Dave Mumford, a missionary from France, who's also on the team, and just ironically, as it would be, they're both white, and here I'm the third white guy, and it is a sea of African-American faces. So we're very much the minority in it, and I did my best to connect with the family, to preach to them, and while I'm preaching, I'm getting heckled. Come on, man, move on! I'm like, uh, okay, uh, <laughs> uh, where am I in Psalm 23? Yeah, who cares? Move on, man! And others were starting to get upset about not being able to see the, uh, the girl, Shateri's, her body. Uh, and, and then others got up to sing, and, and, and we made it through that whole funeral service. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be connecting with, this is our neighborhood. Uh, not doing a good job first week into it. But I'm trying. 
And they took the funeral, and I've never seen the horse and carriage thing take the casket out to the cemetery, but that's what happened. There was over 250 that showed up for this funeral, and uh, it was pretty happening in North Minneapolis on that block there. They came back, the group came back to have a meal in the gymnasium, and then that led into a parking lot, kind of like a, a time where you're tailgating, for lack of a better term. We made it very clear, no alcohol in the church facility, but they apparently took liberties in the parking lot, and that led to some chaos. And so I'm up in, Heather and I are living in the parsonage connected to the church, and, and we're sitting down, I'm just kind of exhausted after having, managing all sorts of things, taking out the trash and connecting with people, and I sat down to eat at home, and we hear, boom, 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 four gunshots. And then all of a sudden, all the electricity goes off. And that was in our parking lot of the church. So I ran down there. There's chaos everywhere. Everyone's running every which way. Somehow, the guy managed to, they got in a fight between two family members here, right? Family members. They got in a fight, and the guy shot the gun in the air and managed to hit the electrical wire that supports the whole block, and the whole block went out. And I found out at that point that all of the, the, those that weren't heckling that were actually kind of nice to me really didn't have any time for me when I'm trying to help direct traffic and, and get them safe. And then what really was a concern to me is that I called 911, and that was the third time that day I called 911 in that particular funeral. I called 911, and I see the police car drive up, see what's going on with all the chaos, and then drive away. I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I don't blame them by the way, because if they would have come into that situation, it probably would have been worse for them. And then I watched the guy get into his car and, and back it up, squeal the wheels and smash into another car and then into another car. And it was just, and I'm trying to grab kids and pull them into the church. That's my first week. Like, man, how are we going to connect with this group? So we start praying, right? We start thinking, what, what do you want us to do? And, and so I get there Sunday morning and i um, preaching and, you know, to look out at the sea of faces here, you know, it's very encouraging to see all of you and see what God's doing as he's continuing to grow PBC. To see a good group of 50 at Family Baptist Church is awesome. And to see that the average age is, and there's nothing wrong with this average age, 65, okay? Many asking questions about where is my pew cushion, <laughs> And is there a place for my wheelchair and <laughs> things like that? And, and to see that group and talk to them about how we're going to reach North Minneapolis for Jesus. And then go back up into the parsonage and hear someone wailing in the parking lot, banging their head against our privacy fence. And we go out and, and there's a lady who's high as a kite. She's like, I got kicked out of my house. I got kicked out of my house with somebody. This is at our, the house of the church. Like no downtime on this one. And we go out and we say, how can we help you? Can we get you something to eat? She says, yes, I haven't eaten for a whole day. And so Heather goes in to make her a sandwich and she brings a sandwich out. She's like, sandwich? I want something hot. You can take your sandwich back. <laughs> and she walks away. I'm like, oh, sweet, awesome. <laughs> Two, um, a phone call, and this didn't all happen back to back because that would just drive you crazy. It, Praise God, he's spaced these out by probably one a week, right? To um, a phone call from my sister who says there's a guy here at mom and dad's house. Mom and dad are out of town right now, and um, he's a teenage kid, and he's living in a tent. At least that's what he claims. Can you take him in your house? 
I was like, wow, um, okay, um, teenager in my house, I'm thinking legalities. Actually, first of all, I didn't think legalities. I thought, that stinks. This poor kid, he's, he's in a tent in North Minneapolis. And I found out his sister's living with him and his little brother who just turned 10. So we had him over, we fed him, we talked to him. He, he gave lots of connections with having played basketball in the gym. And so I was testing. You always have to test to see, is this guy for real or isn't he? He actually went to his tent and gave him bottles of water to take to his sister. And we were thinking, and I, I, this is like a, a moment of, like, Heather, what are we going to do here? She's like, I mean, let's take him in. So here's the thing. That's great. But you can't just take in minors. Okay, it's, like, it's illegal. You can actually go to jail for it. I don't know. If, I didn't know that. I, I wasn't thinking that way. Like, when you're hit with con, uh, you know, the, the conflict of what do you do with a hurting person like this, you don't think about, you know, if I take him in, maybe could someone get us in trouble for doing that? You actually have to have parental approval. And so when we started to go down that route, because that's where having dad there is super helpful. Hey, dad, this is what's going down. I know you're out of town. I hate to bug you, but he's like, yeah, Jason, first things first, you got to get his mom to, to okay it. So I went and talked to Dennis. I said, Dennis, where's your mom? He said, I haven't seen her for a month. Like, what do you mean you haven't seen her for a month? He goes, that's why we're living in the tent. My mom's strung out on heroin. I can't find her. And so we had to make the decision, what are we going to do to help this person, right? Um, I'll stop with that for right now, because I just want you to know that there's problem of hurting people. It's intense. It is not hard to find. And even in this area of Powdersville, it's not hard to find. Uh, my encouragement to you is to maybe go to Walmart in Powdersville around 11 o'clock at night. And you will see a whole different crew of people living here. Uh, if you go over to Whitehorse Road, you'll see a whole different group of, group of people living there. If you, some of you that are education majors know that there, there's a tour that the, uh, the group uh, in education will take to the trailer home areas around this area, and, and you see poverty at a whole new intense level. So what I'm talking about is not just a Minneapolis thing. My appeal to you today is not, come to Minneapolis because we have real needs. Like, you don't really have needs. You might run out of coffee and bottled water, but you don't have real needs. And that's not what I'm saying. You actually have real needs. It's all over this community. And I'm looking out at the sea of faces and a group of people that could be mobilized, check this out, to go to them, to proclaim the good news to them, and to meet their needs and help them. I didn't say meet their needs only. I'm not talking social gospel. I'm talking the gospel, which is actually taking your feet and doing something, your hands and doing something, the Matthew 25 sort of thing. So here's some reasons why we see someone like this, homeless, hungry, please help, I'll just give you some quick statistics. I'm not intending for you to write this down. This is simply an illustration. Categories of poverty in America. Those who are poor and cannot work because of physical or mental challenges. You see this all around you. The underemployed who are poor because of poor education, low skill levels, or racial factors. Women who are head of households with dependent children. Boy, is that a huge ministry to single mothers with kids. I can't tell you how many grandmas are watching the kids, if you could even call it that. There's a huge need in this area. The temporary poor, 
those between jobs and often from the middle working class that you would think I would never be there. And then there's the one we usually run to. It's those who are lazy. They're poor because they're lazy. That's, man, look at that. You've got able body. You should be at least willing. You look strong enough. Why are you asking me for a handout? I know what you're doing. You're asking that money so you'd go buy drugs or alcohol. I, I'm not going to partner with that. Now, truth be told, uh, there's a lot of ministries out there that I would strongly encourage you not to give money to someone who's asking for it on the street corner, but to give it to a ministry in the neighborhood who's making a difference and trying to reach them and point them to those places. But equip yourself with the knowledge of what the resources are in the greater Greenville, Anderson, Powdersville area so that when you run across someone, you actually help them and actually go a step further. Look at your watch, look at your day timer, say, actually, I have about an hour or two. I will invite them to dinner. I'll take them to Arby's, kind of healthy fast food, and and I'll talk with them, and I'll connect them. And if they don't want to do that, if they don't want to do okay, skip the curly fries. But other than that, the turkey sandwich is good, right? Other than that, you can talk to them about the gospel and about a way forward. This is what we often do. We see someone on the side, we're like, not me, not now. I don't even know how. Well, here's some reasons, again. They got themselves into poverty. Let them get themselves out. God's call to help the poor applies to another time. We don't know any people like this. Like, I really don't know anyone like this. If that's your case, pick a different way to go to work. Like, wake up, everybody, because they're all around us. I have my own needs, and this is an excuse, and it's legitimate. We do have our own needs, and we have limited resources but this should not excuse us away from doing something that meets needs. Any money I give will be wasted, stolen, or spent. The poor will never see it. And I can tell you story after story after story. That guy, that teenager that would just grip my heart and it made us confront with should we take him in or not, ended up being a fraud. I mean, he did live in a tent. He did take his water bottles to someone in the tent, but he is on the street coming up with stories to try to get people to help him. That's at least my impression of it so far. Okay, that's hardcore, especially when you're literally brought to tears over a situation of someone that's hurting, and then you, you, you like go out of your way to help them, and then you end up finding out, oh, they're, he's just playing me. So you know what? I know I got a good solution. I have enough problems of my own. I'm not going to mess with those people. Like if they're for real, they'll demonstrate it, and then we end up doing nothing. I became a victim myself. I don't know where to start. I don't have time. My little bit won't make a difference. And so it leads us to the text. What would Jesus do? What would he do? What's pretty clear, okay? And if you haven't gotten this from me, I want you to look at the Bible, look at Matthew 9, look at verse 35. He went to them. He shared the gospel with them. He met their physical needs. I want you to look at this, and let me help you unpack this. Does Jesus know poverty? Absolutely. Where was he born? He was born in a manger. When it came time for the purification sacrifices, his parents were so poor that they were allowed to offer pigeons instead of the normal middle-class offering. He understood poverty. Jesus declared, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head in Matthew 8.20. Jesus, think about this, he borrowed a boat during his ministry to preach from, 
food to multiply. He borrowed a colt to ride on, a room to meet in, and even a tomb to be buried in. Jesus understood poverty. Luke 4.18, which is a quote from Isaiah 61.1, says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free. That's a beautiful text that Jesus proclaimed over and over and over again. And I want to encourage you to think about your own obedience to the example of Jesus Christ who understood poverty. I found a really good article by Dave Jenkins, How Did Jesus View Wealth and Poverty? It's at Christianity.com. How Did Jesus View Wealth and Poverty? By Dave Jenkins. I want to encourage you to maybe look at that because it shows a great balance between how to minister and how Jesus ministered to those with money and those without money in his heartbeat to minister to each person as an image bearer of God. But as we look at this verse, look at it, verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. So I'm trying to emphasize that he went to them. What cities and villages was he going to? Well, if you turn, if you have a paper copy of the Bible or click over to chapter 9, verse 1, which is our context, it tells us that Jesus was ministering in his own city. Chapter 9, verse 1, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Where is his own city? Well, his own city is found, you ready for this one? Turn back to chapter 4 of Matthew and look at verse 13. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. That place where he lived in, his city, was not Nazareth, but Capernaum. And where is Capernaum? Well, I could tell you it's the Sea of Galilee. If you look at a map of Israel, it's that top lake. If you've ever been there, it's more than a lake. It's an amazing place to be. And it has the river that goes down into the Dead Sea. It's up that top portion. But let the scripture tell you where, where it is. Look at verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So he, Jesus, started his earthly ministry after overcoming the temptation in the wilderness in chapter 4. He goes to the area, the Galilee of the Gentiles. He goes to the outcasts first. The people dwelling in darkness, it says, have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't it interesting? He goes to them, he preaches to them, and then we later see in verses 23 through 25 He's ministering to their needs. He's ministering to their needs. He's recruiting along the way, but he's ministering to their needs. And he goes throughout verse 23, throughout all the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing not just some disease, but every disease and every affliction among the people so that his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics. He healed them. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, which would be the ten Gentile cities, and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Jesus Christ went to them. He went to the herding. 
In, in our text in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, he says he goes to every, not just city, but every village. He's going everywhere he possibly can in an area that has been rejected by those that are esteemed with high regard. This is not Jerusalem. This is the down and out locations, and Jesus is going to them. And he's being faithful in meeting every need that crosses his path because he cares at that kind of level. This is just how Jesus rolled. Notice the second point. He shared the gospel with them. Notice what he says. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now I have my finger still in Matthew chapter 5 because that's where I am. So keep it there because I'm going to refer back to that. So I'm going to lead up to our text. But here in Matthew chapter 9 verse 35, he's proclaiming, which is the idea, uh, sorry, first teaching, which is didactic, which means Point by point, I need you to understand the truth. This is one point, and here's the support for it. Here's another one. Here's the support for it. But where did he do it? He did it in the synagogues. Now, why is he going to the synagogues? It helps us understand chapter 10, verse 5, which says that he says when he commissions the disciples, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not as if Jesus changed his mind about caring for those that are down and out and hurting. He cared deeply for them, but he knew the priority was to go to his own people first, the Jewish people, so that they in turn would take the gospel out to those who are hurting. So I'm, I'm just contextualizing here. I'm here on a mission to come to you, the people of God, to encourage you to go to where the people are. I'm not in a rescue mission right now. I'm here at Palmetto Baptist Church, and it's on purpose. Because God is calling you to consider to do what Jesus did by going to the hurting people and proclaiming the truth to them. And notice it says here that he proclaims the gospel. Pro- proclamation is not kind of, you know, having a conversation and, yeah, share your opinion, I'll share my opinion. It's actually a conviction that I have the truth and I want to share it with you. Now, you do want to be compassionate, right? People do not listen to you if you talk at them. You need to listen to them but don't back down on the truth of the gospel. How would you define the gospel? Well, I know, 1 Corinthians 15, we can come with, here's a great definition. Jesus in my place. It's the definition of the gospel. Jesus in my place. Jesus took my place, died on that cross for me, rose again victoriously. This is the hope that everyone needs to hear. Jesus knew it, And so he went to them and he taught in the synagogues because he's trying to get God's people to go out and minister to the masses and he is proclaiming the truth to them. I, in your place, this is the answer to all of your problems. This will give you hope, meaning, and purpose in life. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 5, what does that message include? Well, it's the Sermon on the Mount. If any of you are following The Chosen, the series, that's where we ended, the Sermon on the Mount. I can't wait for the next episode to come out. But they're getting ready for the Sermon on the Mount. But it's interesting that the Sermon on the Mount is actually a picture of the gospel of the kingdom. So when he is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, I don't want you to miss this, he's proclaiming that there is a king and you need to choose to repent and follow the king. And how you do that is you do everything countercultural. He goes through the Beatitudes. He goes through this idea of being salt and light. He talks about how you should treat those who are your enemies. He beautifully talks about prayer 
He talks about fasting. He talks about a radically different type of people. And this is Jesus continuing on his mission in Matthew 9, 35. He goes to them and he preaches to them. He proclaims the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. But then we get to the meeting of physical needs in that last part of 935. It says that Jesus healed every disease and every affliction. I love the totality of that. Every means he didn't leave any. He didn't leave any undone. Now, he didn't always do that. He went to that pool of Bethesda, Bethesda where, you know, the pool water would be stirred and a group of people were hanging out waiting for the water to touch it. They thought it would heal him. He walked by a bunch of people to get to that one guy to heal that one guy. Back to the chosen movie, right? But sometimes in his sovereignty, he decided to heal everybody. He wasn't selective about it. He was total. He's like, I want to heal everyone that comes in my way And there are other places in Matthew where it seems to imply that as they bumped into him, they bumped off of him, you know, healed. Like that woman with the 12 years of infection that we find earlier in this text of Matthew, she touches the hem of his garment and is healed from her blood disease. That's all that happened. Jesus cared for every issue. And if you looked at chapter 8, so we're closing up the Sermon on the Mount and we're continuing to work towards chapter 9. Chapter 8 starts out with Jesus cleanses a leper those that people won't touch. Jesus heals a Roman centurion's servant. He doesn't just care about the centurion, he cares about the servant of the centurion. He heals Peter's mother-in-law and anyone who was in Capernaum. That's the bumping into him, Acts 8, 14 through 17. Acts 8, 29 through 34, he casts out demons. In chapter 9, verse 18, he raised a girl back to life. In 23 and 26, the same thing. He healed a woman who suffered for 12 years with the discharge of blood, 919. Two blind men are healed in chapter 9, 27 through 30. A demon-possessed mute man was delivered and spoke. Note verse 35, every disease and every affliction. So keep it simple, right? Listen, this is what I want you to get because I am going to move on to another point, but I want you to get this. Go to them. Stop sitting around thinking about what are we going to do. Stop talking about it. Go do something. Go to them. They're all around you. And and I'm I'm not trying to confuse you with spiritualizing it by saying go to the person you're sitting next to because I know you have your needs. I get that. I understand that. We all have our issues we're working through. Keep working on them. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. It's being proclaimed to you. You may be in a small group setting. Praise God. But sometimes we stop there. And we never get past that, me, Jesus, and my buddies. And we need to go to them. We need to proclaim the gospel, Jesus in my place. And then we need to ask the question, what need do you have? How can I help you? It's like a bridge building thing. Opportunities all around us. I love this William Borden. And no, I'm not going to tell you that he wrote three things in his Bible three phrases. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, he did famously write some things in his Bible, but it's actually been debated as to whether or not that actually happened. The no reserves, no retreats, no regrets has been debated because they've never found the Bible with those statements in it, but it's made for some really good preaching. But I think what preaches more is the life of this man. He dies at age 25 from spinal meningitis on his way to go to the people to proclaim the gospel to them and to meet their needs. And God ends his life 
But along the way, he uses, invests his time, his talents, and his treasures in those that are hurting all around him. In college, he's serving at a rescue mission. In fact, at one point in college, he, he oversaw four rescue missions at one time. Intense. He's a guy who cared for those that were hurting, and he spent time praying with his fellow students. So as you've heard, at Yale University, it started with two, and it ended up being almost the entire student body meeting for prayer, student-led initiative. He gave over $800,000 to the Bible Society, which was a lot of money back in the day, and God used him in an amazing way. I think Will Borden got it. And I'm asking you, would you consider getting it? You might say, Jason, wait a second. I don't have millions. I'm not inheriting all this stuff. What do I do with what I have? Think of the young man who had five loaves and two fish. That's all he had. Jesus isn't asking for anything more than what you have. But he is asking for you to give it to him. Like, are you willing to say, I've got this, you know, 20 bucks a month that I can afford. Well, good for you. Go use it for kingdom purposes. Maybe you have a house and you have an ability to actually have people into your house and and minister to them. Maybe you have a a window of time when you can go to a prison and minister at a prison or go down to Whitehorse Road and minister to the people that are there or connect with other churches in the area that are in the center of the city doing these types of things. And you can do this, I'm telling you, but you have to be willing to say, I surrender all. Like, I'm yours, Lord. I really buy into this gospel thing, this idea that Jesus did it, I want to do it too. Go preach, teach, meet physical needs. Um, I hope I haven't worn you out, but here, turn your eyes to verse 36. We have to not only reach people the way Jesus reached them, and I do promise you I will speed up on this, okay? I, I emphasize that the first part, I wanted to just, I wanted to hone in on go to them, preach, teach to them, and minister to them, okay? But it really is only as effective as if you really see them the way Jesus saw them. He saw them as image bearers, which you've heard me say if you've been here at Palmetto Baptist Church for the, you know, since we started. I love to talk about it. We need to view people as who they are, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, image bearers of God, not differences when it comes to ethnic barriers of color of skin, or social economic class, but you are a created being, created by God. You are an image bearer. I'm going to treat you with dignity and respect. I'm going to look at you in your eyes. I'm going to try to minister to you in a way that makes a difference. Notice, when he saw the crowds, he saw them. Take time to look. And I think in seeing them, he just didn't see a bunch of people. They weren't threats to him. They weren't distractions you know, I'm confronted with this fact that if we gather a large group of people and someone asks to do a funeral again, do I say no to that or do I say yes to that? Are they a threat or a distraction? No, actually they're image bearers. They're hurting people who need Jesus. And it takes some wisdom to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but we need to do something with the resources that we have. He at least saw them. He saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. You know the word compassion, it's used five times in Matthew, here in 14, 15.32, and 20.34. Yeah, I know you didn't write that down, but it's this idea of a gut level kind of, oh, 
I can't believe I just saw that. Like I actually, he actually cared. It wasn't just like, oh man, there's a bunch of people that are messed up. Why can't they just get their act together? He didn't talk about their political background or, or why our society is in the mess that it's in. He saw people who are hurting and he cared deeply. And this is a, a, a word that really gets to the point of what we need. Jesus was one who understood that he is a recipient of God's, uh, that, through, that Jesus is to us our gift of God's love to us and we are recipients of God's love and, and people need to see that through us. But also please note, that they were affected by sin. I love the words here. He had compassion for them. It doesn't say on them. It says for them. I actually care about you. And by, by the way, you can't fake that. Like if you're really ministering to someone that's hurting, they're going to see right through your manipulation. If you're, if you're doing it to put something on your Instagram to say, look at me, I'm helping the homeless. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've called rescue missions and they say, are you know, can I bring a group? A group's coming to, to minister in Minneapolis like only one time? No, we're not interested. If someone from your church wants to come week in and week out, sure, we'll take you. Like, they can tell if it's for show or if it's for real, but they were harassed and helpless. This word for harassed means troubled, bothered, or annoyed. Helpless means thrown down, hurled with considerable force. And when I, when I think about that, troubled, bothered, annoyed, or thrown down with considerable force, I can't help but think about, and this is such a blessing, and I encourage you to pray for Family Baptist Church. Every Wednesday night, we have been blessed to receive a house from Adult Teen Challenge, which is a group of men that are working through addiction and recovery. There are some of them there voluntarily, others of them involuntarily. In other words, they were sent by the courts. And they're coming into Family Baptist Church. So our prayer meeting consisted of 12 people. That's what I came to this, this summer. 12 people. Let's pray. And then God opened a door through one of the deacons who works at the Adult Teen Challenge to say, hey, they're looking for a church to host a group of 40 guys. Would you be interested? I said, absolutely. Let's bring them. Because they're not used to having churches that have prayer meetings on Wednesday night. And I understand why. I understand small group, and I see the power in that. But in our context, this was a big deal that we had a place for them to come. We have this huge building, beautiful facility, and they ended up saying, okay, we'll send you. On top of that, my dad is probably the best guy to preach to these guys. He views all of them as he does his own kids. And he's preaching and teaching, and the word is getting out in the community, and we are averaging around 60 to 70 people on Wednesday night now. And they're not all from Adult Teen Challenge. They're from around the community that's hearing Family Baptist is doing something. Last night, we had Bikers for Christ, or called Second Saturday of the Month. There's groups of biker gangs that come to North Minneapolis, and they watch the visual Bible and talk about the visual Bible, eat tons of food, and then talk about the gospel. It is amazing. I mean, every color, every piercing, every tattoo you can imagine— all sitting there saying, I need Jesus. And what, what is interesting, you might think, well, I know why they got there. Actually, I have found, in the little I've talked to them, I've found doctors, I have found teachers, I have found coaches. These were all very successful, but something happened in their lives, and they found themselves on the street. 
So none of you is outside of the boundary of giving in to temptation and needing something like this. They're hurled down with considerable force. And they're just looking for someone to say, can you help me? I need help. And we can be that. We can actually, in this case, receive them and minister to them and love on them. Um, Last Sunday, as I was finishing up Sunday school, a lady called me. Hey, Pastor Jason, can I talk to you for a second? She was shaking. I said, yeah, what's up? She says, I've been 10 years addicted to alcohol, and uh, I just got off alcohol four days ago, and I just, can you pray for me? And she started crying. And and this is, by the way, this is at the end of the service, and I'm supposed to go to this important meeting in the pastor's office to talk about how to clean the building. So I go from that to moving like a couple steps over, and there's a lady who says, Pastor Jason, just really quickly, how can I trust the God who has hurt my friends? My friends are dying of COVID. How do I trust a God like that? Ah. Okay, let me talk to you a little bit, pray with you, and let's set up a time to talk further about that. And then I start moving over, and here comes a guy who's middle-aged, who broke his back because he fell off a roof, and he's trying to figure out how to live life in constant pain. And he's, he's just shaking again and in pain, saying, Pastor, I just need you to pray with me. Can we meet sometime during the week so that we can just pray for God's healing and his help? And I'm, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And so jot that down. And then I walk over and I'm trying to get to the, you know, I got to talk about cleaning the building. And I get over there and a guy wheels his wheelchair up to me. He's an army vet or a Navy vet. And, and um, he's actually the guy that has um, been blessed to run the maintenance of our church. He's in a wheelchair now. Because his knees are all messed up and the VA won't deal with it. And it's like a month, they're giving him a month before he's going to be seen. And he's like, Pastor, will you pray for me? I don't really know how to do this. And I said, yeah, definitely. And this is, this is real life, you guys. This is, I'm not making this up to say, you know, this is hard to find. I, I think when I was in Greenville, I struggled with this idea of where do I find people like this? And I'm telling you, they're all around us. And, and again, I'm trying to be clear. I'm not just turning it to say the person sitting next to you. you. The person sitting next to you has tremendous needs. I get that. I'm talking about the people outside of this building. Jesus saw and met the needs, but he preached to them. And it's a beautiful picture. And Jesus described them as sheep without a shepherd. They, they actually would respond if someone would give them direction. There's a need for good shepherds, and you have one here, and actually a group of good shepherds. But Pastor Sam, in his shepherding, he's doing a great job, and he's been a blessing to me. You might not know this, but he's calling me like every week. Hey, Jason, how you doing? He's always excited, and he wants to connect me with somebody in the city. That's awesome, and I appreciate it. And some of those connections have been really, really golden for me. But you have someone who's shepherding you, but again, I'm not asking all of you to become pastors. I'm asking you to be like Jesus and look out at people and really see them and really care for them and really want to shepherd them. They're in need of direction. Um, I would take you to Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, but I won't because of time. But Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, it's the responsibility of a good shepherd. And actually, you know what you find out in that passage? 
It's a condemnation on the nation of Israel for not teaching and proclaiming, meeting physical needs, and going to the people that are hurting. And then in reverse, as the chapter ends in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, it's the promise of the good shepherd to come, and it's Jesus. Jesus is here fulfilling the prophecy made about him in Ezekiel. He's just doing amazing things in the midst of ministering to people that have needs. And that's that Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, if you want to look at it. But they're not only those that are uh, people that are worthy of compassion, they were desperate for salvation. And just a quick statement on this. He motivated these disciples. And please, don't turn me off. I know that I've given you a lot of information. You know what I want you to get? Go to them, right? Proclaim the truth to them. Teach, preach, and minister to their needs. That's, if that's what you're going to get out of this, great. And if you want to dig in a little bit more as to how Jesus viewed them, that's equally important because to just do these things apart from the mind of Christ in us is not going to produce results. We actually have to say, God, help me see them and care for them the way you see them, the way you care for them. And how I saw this, he motivated his disciples to care. In verse 37, he says, then he said to his disciples, I want to give you some good news. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Is that good news? I think it is. Stop talking about the doomsday and what's happening to America and start looking at the opportunities we have to reach massive numbers of people. There are people out there that need Jesus. They're just, God is just saying, will you get going? Because if you don't get going and telling them, someone else is going to get the blessing of sharing it with them because I will draw to myself those who I want to draw to myself. The question is, will you be blessed to be the one that takes it to them? The harvest is plentiful. Um, There are 7.75 billion souls in the world. 2.3 of the billion that live on this planet call themselves Christians, and I'm talking broadly Catholic included, so it's not even that large of a group. There's over 2 billion people, billion with a B, unreached people who have never heard the name of Jesus. 2 billion people. That leaves us with around 3 billion undecided. We have a massive opportunity today. And the last time I checked, Jesus hasn't come back yet. So what are we doing about it? He motivated them, and he also said he challenged them to pray. Therefore, pray earnestly, and I love the encouragement here, to the Lord of the harvest, don't miss this, to send out laborers into whose harvest? His harvest. See, I know who needs to be harvested, and actually it's my field. I'm just asking you, I'm inviting you to be a part of it, and I want you to start by praying. Some of you know I'm writing a blog, a weekly blog. You can find it at familybaptistchurch.org to keep you up to date on what's going on in Minneapolis if you want to. And I, I talked about this, and I heard at, uh, on campus during Missions Week at BJ, someone mentioned this as well. So just a reminder, a way to remind yourself about praying to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest is to take your cell phone and set the alarm to go off at 9.38 a.m. and p.m. 9.38 a.m. and p.m. every single day. Mine does that, and I pause and I pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest field. I don't get overwhelmed by it. It's your harvest field. It's your plan. I trust you in it. And he mobilized the disciples to go. And uh, if you look down at that list, verses 1 through 5, I tried to answer why 5 seems so abrupt. Only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's his plan to mobilize God's people to reach out to those that are out there. 
But don't miss this. The disciples are listed there, 12 of them, in groups of two. Do you guys see this? Now, don't miss this. This is just a simple, very practical principle that we see here. He talks about meeting physical needs, giving them unique power to cast out demons and heal. And I know I'm not adequately addressing why I don't think that is your role today. You can have Pastor Sam take you through that. But I do think that the, the contextualization is we meet needs, but notice the groups of two, the names, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Notice the connections of the end. If you're going to do what I'm saying, follow Jesus, which you should, right? Don't do it alone. Go with somebody. And this is exactly what happens. They start praying, and as you know, they're the ones that go. It's a dangerous thing to accept this challenge, to go to preach and proclaim and to meet needs. But actually, if you start praying about it, you're going to do it. Because you're a follower of Jesus. God lives in you. He's like, yeah, finally, you're listening to me. Application for you. Ask God to help you view people the way Jesus views them. I do think motivation matters. I know I didn't spend a ton of time on that, but view them the way Jesus viewed them. Image bearers of God, recipients of God's love, people harassed and helpless, impacted by sin. No different, by the way, than you. No different than me. If I come across as, oh, you're in the program, I understand. I've never been there, but, you know, this is what I've done. Boy, it's like, turn off. But if you realize that it's by God's grace that you're a born-again believer and you're just a recipient of the crumbs of bread from the loaf of the gospel and you're sharing it one beggar to another beggar, as Charles Spurgeon said, you're going to go a long ways with that. Impacted by sin, in need of direction, sheep without a shepherd, connection to a local church, View them the way Jesus viewed them. And um, not to frustrate, but I'm going to skip over that. And the last one is redirect your time, your resources, and your gifts to help someone in need. And I'm just wondering, has the Holy Spirit brought any one person or one family into your mind? And if you're sitting here and you honestly do not know one, I understand that. I do. We're all busy, but I want to challenge you to ask God to reveal someone to you. Open the eyes of my heart so I can see, so I can go to them, so I can actually proclaim the truth to them and actually can meet their needs. Let's pray together. Father, we need you desperately, and we thank you for giving us this amazing yet very simple example of how we can participate in harvesting from your fields. And we know that you have a group of people that you are waiting for us to go to, to reap that harvest. I pray, God, that you'd move in our hearts, help us to view people the way you viewed them, Jesus, and help us to act the way, Jesus, you act. Help us to be willing to go to them, to proclaim the truth to them, and to minister to needs. So minister to our hearts. God, draw us to a point of repentance and purpose in going forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.